As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Stories of Special Forces Operators Podcast. Listen to some of the bravest and toughest people on the planet share their stories. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have a great guest. His name is Chris Moyer. He goes by Dutch. He's the owner of DCM Consulting. You can find more at DutchChrisMoyer.com. Dutch is D-U-T-C-H, Chris, C-H-R-I-S, Moyer, M-O-Y-E-R.com. Well, who is he, you ask? Well, he served 31 years in the United States Army, 26 of which were Special Operations Command, with experience with the 19th Special Forces Group, 1st 75th Ranger Battalion, culminating with 14 years as a USA SOC operator. It is with this unique perspective and experience that he's able to create tailored training and leadership programs for those who continue to serve. We'll be talking about that throughout the show, some of the consulting work that he does and the training as well. DCM, DCM consulting mission is to build a company that provides the next generation of service members and first responders the knowledge and necessary skill sets required to thrive in their complex environments. We've talked about this countless times in shows, folks. A lot of the first responders, what they need is better training. That's what they really need. A lot of these individuals out there, police officers, um, paramedics, even paramedics actually have spoken to several of those. They need better training for self-defense. They need better training for close quarter battles, all kinds of things that will help them not only protect them, but also the public in general. Dutch Chris Moyer has planned and conducted small unit tactics in support of unconventional warfare, special recon, foreign internal defense, and direct action missions. He took part in over a thousand of successful combat assaults and classified unclassified missions in Afghanistan and Iraq. Trained and participated in training task force partners, FBI, HRT, Ranger Regiment, SAS. We're going to be here all afternoon if we keep going, but I just wanted to kind of give you the highlights. It includes indigenous forces of Colombia, Thailand, Egypt, Iraq, Kuwait. We'll talk a little bit about that experience as well. So before we get started, make sure to share, subscribe, and hit that like button. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, Dutch. Welcome, sir. Dr. Carlos, thank you very much, man. I appreciate your time. Appreciate the intro. Uh, we could be here all day. Well, there's, I did a couple of things here and there in a span of uh, 31 plus. But yeah, uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I look forward to more of it as I continue, as, uh, as I can stay above ground. And first things first, I wanted to do is thank you for your service. I truly appreciate that. Thanks, sir. For sure. And that's one of the reasons for the podcast. A lot of people don't understand 
what you folks do, and you folks being in special operations, um, they don't get to see the work behind the scenes, and I get it. A lot of stuff they can't see, a lot of stuff they can't know. But it doesn't mean we can't give you credit for a lot of the good, great stuff you've done. Before we get started with all that, I want to backtrack a little tiny bit. And what motivated Dutch to get involved in special forces? That's a great question. What motivated me to get involved in any kind of military or and as I saw my career you know, progress into testing my own metal to be in uncomfortable places with the best people. Uh, I always thought that I wanted to give back. You know, I was a, when I was a kid, uh, I watched Vic Morrow in combat. Uh, when you know, I watched all the old movies, I always wanted to be a soldier. I played those soldier games in the backyard, climbed trees, and had a little plastic 1911, you know, that I thought was the boss. And, and I used to build models and stuff like that. I always knew I was going to be a soldier ever since I was a little boy. So that's my first motivation. And, you know, as I grew older, really wanting to give back. Um, gratitude is something that William Buckley taught me about when I was younger. And just to give back to all those great people that gave to us to allow us to be where we are today, you know, uh, relatively free and a very prosperous nation. That's amazing. You know, every time I talk to somebody who's a former Green Beret, anybody in special ops here in America, it's kind of fascinating. I always hear the movie Green Beret. Was that one that influenced you as well? Sure, sure. Yeah, I like Green Berets a lot. Uh, and that was a, you know, that was a, a pro-war movie, if you will, right? They didn't want to call it pro-war at the time, but it was certainly pro war Definitely not negative. Pro-soldier. <laughs> pro, pro it wasn't negative. That's right. So it wasn't anti-war, but it was pro-soldier, pro-mission set, you know, pro-America. This is why we're doing this. You know, we're doing this for good reasons. Um, so that was a cool thing. Of course, John Wayne was a stalwart of all that stuff back in the day. Uh, so they, uh, I watched that movie when I was younger. Um, but I also watched movies like Kelly's Heroes. And I don't think that had any real overwhelmingly great qualities except for it was just a fantastic movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great movie, too. And you make a great point. A lot of people, I always tell them a lot of times, look, I have a lot of friends in the CIA. I spent some friends in special operations. I don't even know half the stuff that's going on. So it's really hard to judge anybody if you don't even have a half of the information of what's really happening. And I tell people geopolitical affairs, stuff that's going on behind it, we have no idea what's really happening out there. So really, um, you have to be tight-lipped. <laughs> you can't say much about it. I don't judge them because I have no idea what's really going on. You find out, sometimes you find out 20 years later and sometimes you find out the wrong stuff anyway. And we're so, coming to a point too, right? We're coming to a point where there are some things that can be revealed, I think. But then it's gonna it's gonna depend on the person, right? The individual person. How much how much is this person going to divulge? You know, I don't I'm not a I don't like that kind of thing. I'm not a big talker in that respect with uh, when it comes down to mm, let's see, trade concerns or trade classi classified engagements, whatever. But you know, this is another challenge we meet too, is the social media challenge. How, if I want to make sure everybody thinks I'm not a, a hoop, right? Some sort of bozo, you know, how do I, how do I market myself? Uh, this challenge came up before in a, in a relationship I had a long time ago. So, you know, how, how are you going gonna to market yourself? Well, uh, I guess we'll do it the hard way. That's a great point because there are some, as you say, bozos out there that take advantage of individuals who act like they have a certain amount of training, but they really don't. And it doesn't mean they can't. It's just the way they market themselves is misleading, I guess. It's interesting. There's a, 
there's a lot of folks out there, oftentimes on the range, I will call them YouTube heroes or Instagram uh, super studs, whatever you want to call them. But yeah, there are a lot of, there's some interesting folks out there uh, teaching suspect ways to get things done. Uh, and I would tell you too, when it comes to training wise, and I know we haven't even gotten there yet, but I would tell my people, whoever comes to see me, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to tell you what I do. I'm going to show you the why behind it, right? Because I think it should be covered under the banner of leadership. And then in the end, you know, I'm going to give you a tool in the toolbox. If it doesn't fit you, throw it out. Just get rid of it and just do it your own way. That's fine. But I'll tell you, I'll, I'll show you why I do it that way. And there's probably a good reason why for it. Folks, again, remember, Dutch took part in over a thousand successful combat assaults and classified unclassified missions. We're not talking about the classified today, folks. He planned and conducted small unit tactics in support of unconventional warfare. The guy has experience. I'll just give you this, folks. I mentioned to a couple of other Green Berets who just recently retired, I think a couple of years back. And I told them I was going to interview Dutch. Dutch doesn't even know this yet. And they said, you're interviewing who? And I said, uh, Dutch Chris Moyer. And they're like, oh, my God, he's like a legend. And that just kind of gives you the respect <laughs> Dutch has in the community. So he's absolutely right. You really got to know who you're, who you're getting trained by and make sure you vet them properly. Um. So let's go. One quick, one quick question. I'm going to backtrack for a second. Um, I'm aging myself, but anyway, uh, I haven't found too many people who remember the show Rat Patrol. You remember that one? Oh yeah, you remember Rat Patrol? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a fun show. That was, was fun too. Yeah, desert stuff. Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you this then. Okay, we got we figured out a little bit what motivated you to get in there uh, to get to the military. Um, what kind of impact? This is why I kind of always see this with a different Green Berets. It always gives them a different impact in their life. It changes who they are, right? I really believe in that hero's journey that we all go through. We start at one point in our lives, we get called on for a task, and then we get thrown into the task, and we come out, and we're stronger, right? Those are forging iron in a sense. Did you feel like you changed from Dutch, who was before military, into after going into the Green Berets? Oh, sure. Let's get one thing straight. Just so we know, I'm, I was never Green Beret. Oh, my apologies. Uh, no, no, not at all. I just, I didn't go that route. Uh, I went, I was a regular infantry, well, I was regular uh, arm recruitment. Actually, in the beginning, I wanted to be a tanker all my life, and I became one. I decided that this is not for me. So I switched over to be an infantryman. Um, and I went into the Rangers, and then from the Rangers, I went to, you just saw much higher place, much better place. But, um, so back to the question, though, was, there a time that I've changed, right? Or you're the base root of the question. Yeah, the guy who Dutch was before he entered the military to the guy after he got training for the special ops, did it change you? Oh, of course. Uh, of course, it would change anyone, right? So I was a lost young man who, you know, when I got, so I took a small break out of the army, right? So once oh. I was an arm recruitman, I quit for a small amount of time because I, I didn't want to be an arm recruitman anymore. The uh, army where I was in Germany in the 80s was bad there was no real leadership it was um, a lot of poor decisions here and there uh, there was drugs alcohol stuff like that was rampant uh, so I, I jettisoned out of there uh, but I missed it right away and I realized that I really needed you know a good leadership profile really that's about all young men and women need is good leadership um, so I, I took a couple odd jobs and then I came back in and yeah I was completely different you know and I, and I made sure that I was going to train to be a character 
I wanted to train to be a scuba diver. You know, I did all that stuff <laughs> on my own. You know, I spent a lot of money doing that kind of stuff on my own. And then uh, I finally went back in as an infantryman and I got a ranger contract. Did you have a mentor during that time while you were in the military? That's a great question. I would say no, not really. I came in, you know, so I, when, I re, when I was reborn, if you will, in the Army, I came in late. So I was 27, 26, 27 years old. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so I was uh, was one of the one of the older guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, one of my platoon stars, John Spizo, uh, was very motivational during my time, and uh, some other friends that were peers throughout that uh, you know saw that I was a much more mature young ranger and said, "Well, let's bring you over here, not not get you uh, lost in the sauce, if you will, you know, with a bunch of young rangers and." And uh, yeah, there was some commission officers along the way that did real well for me. Chris Vanek, like I said, uh, Jay Brimson was a first sergeant who was a, a great mentor of mine. And uh, John Spizo as a platoon sergeant. Now John's got his own cool leadership stuff going on. He wrote a book. And he's got his own um, circuit that he runs uh, via podcast and stuff. So yeah, pretty, pretty darn good. Yeah, the reason I ask is a lot of times, I don't know your background or your childhood or anything like that. We're, we're not going to get into that, but individuals who've had tough backgrounds, tough childhood, a lot of times what saves them is mentors, right, over the years. And um, that's one of the key things we see over and over again. That's kind of the area that I work in. And I see that over and over. People say, well, why does this person come from the same environment, all this trouble, abuse, whatever it is, and then they turn out okay and this person doesn't. And every time I find out as a mentor, even Mike Tyson, at least for part of his life, got it straightened out when he met Custy Amato and then when Cuss died, I think he started falling and having problems. But so I was curious to know, because you were saying you were, you know, you're looking for something at 26, 27, and then you got this mentor that kind of pushed you because everybody seemed like they saw something in you. It sounded like. I, I was very, I was been, I've been very fortunate for sure. Uh, but you know, when you talk about the family stuff, you know, you, and you said you would date yourself here. So uh, June and Ward Cleaver, that's, that, that, was was my mom and dad. that was my mom and dad right there. I mean, that's how I grew up. I grew up in a really nice, very middle class, low to middle middle class. Um, mom and dad were working hard, and Jude was Jude and worked. I mean, I, I grew up in a nice family. I still like my parents. They still like me. You know that kind of thing. I have no trouble past. Um, that's great. So it's worked out for me. <laughs> yeah. So you had the best of both worlds, <laughs> and that's actually a huge thing because that also. We can talk about this if you want even more later. It's up to you. But for a lot of the soldiers that, that did come from those backgrounds, troubled backgrounds, PTSD is much more prevalent because they didn't have that resilience building. A lot of times people who came from better backgrounds had more protective factors, as we call it. Um, they had the support and the secure engagement of their parents to help them through that. Um, I don't know if, they, if you have any comment on that. Yeah, Grossman talked about that, right? That's right, Colonel and Grossman. There's only... There, you know, there's there's certain percentages of people that can get up, do these things, and go back to bed and go do it again tomorrow morning. Um, I, I would believe the place where I came from, you know, would harvest and, and cultivate those people for sure. But uh, Grossman talks about it. Most of them have a good, steady, strong foundation before they ever get into it. So. Would have ever guessed, right, Dutch? <laughs> Who would have ever guessed? Who knew? <laughs> Having good family home. 
anyway, it's interesting. I know because I, even when I speak to homicide detectives, which is a very unusual group too, of, I admire them so immensely because of the, what they're going through. People don't realize what they see uh, day in and day out. And uh, some of the stories I've heard makes criminal minds Disneyland. I mean, it's just, just yeah. incredible. Um, I'm sure some of the stories you guys hear too make some of these war movies, Disney movies. Um, and it's the same thing where we found out with homicide detectives, the ones that can handle it or not handle it, but process it better tend to be ones who came from um, supportive homes like that. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit now. So we're going into your career. We're into special operations. Uh, was there ever a time before you went out to a mission or maybe your first mission or two that you said, what am I doing here? No. Nothing? And I don't, and I don't want to be pompous or full of hubris, but, but no. Uh, I will tell you that there was one specific mission I was quite nervous on. Uh, and it was the longest air assault raid in the history of uh, warfare. And when we struck back against the Taliban in Tandahar, the, but honestly, it, it all worked out. Uh, obviously, it was, worked out for me, it worked out for everybody else. No, we, we didn't lose anybody. Um, it was, but it was just one of those things that had gave me a long, long chance to be nervous on that. And it was really the first time we were going into armed conflict, at least for me. Um, you know, as a ranger, we did the Haiti thing. So we did do a lot of prep to go in to a, in a harm's way, but we never really did anything. Of course, uh, Jimmy Carter stopped all that. We were pretty much ready to get on the, uh, the airplane. Um, most of the time I would stay focused and stay relaxed and uh, make jokes. I made a lot of silly jokes while you're doing the work. Even if you're doing complex PQB, you'd make a, you know, you, I, I, I told somebody else this, but you see some strange things. Did you, when you say, now you, you mentioned just a minute ago about, you know, maybe war that we've seen may look like a war movie, a Disney movie. Um, but it, the funniest things are the stuff that's so strange. Like you were after a high value target and a, and a woman goes from right to left in a complex CQB engagement with no top on, screaming at the top of her lungs. It was like, it was like, a, w, it was like a WWE uh, fight or something. Or, or here you're in a room and you have to be able to get a snapshot and figure out the whole room as you're doing this, right? And there's a mallard. Why is there a duck here? <laughs> why, why is there a donkey? Why is there a donkey in the room? Um, you, you saw some strange things. You know, and it was uh, there's one particular mission we were on where we did some decent amount of, of killing. And then on the same mission set, right, it was a, probably the second or third follow-on target that we got to, uh, our medic helped to deliver a baby. So, you know, there's a strange part of oh, war wow. where here you can, you can take these lives that are going to interfere with, obviously, our mission or our lives, and then over here help, help bring a life into the world. Very, very interesting. Story about the, the the topless woman reminded me of one of the best CQB people I think I know, Doc Holliday. If you remember him from Tombstone, remember that <laughs> <laughs> he bursted into the woman with the two, bursted into the room with the two women, and they said, "By all means, move." By all means, by all means. <laughs> Let me take you back for a second. Um, I know I've asked, I asked this question for the first time actually Friday when I was interviewing an Australian SAS guy, really nice man, Mark Wales. Um, I never asked before, but it dawned on me when I asking him, 
do you remember the very first time that a bullet came at you or you were shot at? So Winston Churchill says, I think he talked about like a bullet coming straight for his nose. You know, he talked about this, this terrifying moment. Well, here's a shocker. You can't see it. Just letting you know. I don't care. You know, on a misty day when you're shooting (laughs) around away from you, on a misty day, you can see it. If you're looking at a high power rifle through a water strip, you can see the trace. Yes. But when it's coming this close, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to see it. Um, So, uh, particular targets were certainly right next to us or me or someone else. There was, there was uh, shots on the wall. Um, yeah, there's times when they're, uh, they're uh, all right, another target uh, out in the middle of uh, the, the Werve, if you will, the Western Euphrates River Valley, where uh, rounds are cracking off right over your head. So when somebody says, what's that? Well, they're, they're rounds cracking up over your head. You, did you forget the times where you were in the pits, working the pits for target practice? Yeah, you can hear the rounds cracking over your head, right? Um, but obviously you're not going to get hurt by those. So these were intended for your harm. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, what do you do though? I'll tell you what you do. There's a couple of different things you do. You, you're, you have to remain calm because that guy over there and that guy over there are counting on you and the same thing with the others. Right. So my rifle is their shield and I can't, you can't, if you freak out, guess what you're going to do? You're going to self-select and you're going to go somewhere else you can't do that right if you can't live a controlled chaotic environment then you're most likely going to deselect yourself that's fascinating because i know when i've talked to other guys special ops too it's a really fascinating mindset that you have because even he's listening to you the psychological way you've you framed it is fascinating because when i talked to remember larry holmes the boxer i might have mentioned mm-hmm. this before when he, uh, I think we talked up before the show, uh, when he got knocked down, I asked him, what did you think about when you got knocked down? And I was expecting something like, oh, geez, I, you know, I, he knocked me out, I'm done. But he said, how am I going to get back up and knock him out? And that was his mentality. He completely changed the whole thing around to say, screw, I don't care, I got knocked down. I just got to figure out how I'm going to win. And that was his mentality. I'll, I'll tell you, I meet Tony, uh, Tony Blower. I don't know if you know Tony Blower. Oh, I love Tony, yeah. <laughs> Uh, great hand-to-hand combat specialist. He's been doing it for years. Said the spear guy, and I, I, I love Tony. I was on his No Fear podcast, and I made mention of a. It was a. I love hockey, and hockey is one to me one of the last bastions of real men's sports. But there was a goalie who got run into or something, and he fell down. And I'm pretty sure he was staying on the ice to try to elicit a penalty, which to me was never do, because you got to get back up. Because sure enough, what happened was somebody found the puck and scored on this guy. And, he, and I'm like, even if you're hurt, if, even get up, get up. There's nothing wrong with you, really. Get up, right? Unless he's paralyzed <laughs> by some sort of, did he get a stinger, a, neuro, you know, a neurological stinger or something? You, you, no, he, get up, dude, get up. Um, and I, there, was a, there's a, a, there was a funny combat story about that as well. It was, a, it was an engagement while I was supporting the Rangers where, we were being shot at. Uh, we really hadn't anywhere to go. On the left side of us was a large concrete wall that uh, kept the industrial thing away from us. We were on a road, right, kept going to a checkpoint. On the right-hand side was a cemetery with a broken-down uh, fence. Sometimes the fence would be up, sometimes it would be down. And a little grave, basically a ditch you could hide from them here. 
we're getting fire down this tube, if you will, because you can imagine, right? You're looking right down this tube. Over here is a wall. Over here is a fence. And um, oh yeah, an incident where uh, guy actually got, he got hurt. He actually got hurt by one of my dogs. I was I had a dog, and my dog actually snapped bit him. But when he fell down, he went bonkers. He was already in overload. He was already in some sort of crazy overload. And I, I ran up there to talk to him. I said, we need to get the hell out of here. Keep breaking contact. We need to keep breaking. I'm standing over top of him firing a rifle. I'm like, keep breaking contact. Jeez. And his mind is overloaded. And he got bit by the dog and he fell down. And I said, dude, there's nothing wrong with your feet. Get up. There's nothing wrong with your legs. He bit you in the arm. Get up. Uh, but yeah, we oh, finally man. ended up getting out of there. No problem. But look, man, it's just it's a, that weird psychological thing, right? What, what's your, where, where, does, where does flight go? There's fight, there's flight, and I don't know what else. Is there's freeze. I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor, or there's freeze, right? Yeah. It sounds like he was he was getting ready to freeze. Yeah, he was in overload, so he had the blinders on. Yeah, that's intense. He made it out, though, okay? That's a great story. I mean, if, if I could go into the whole thing, it's really quite humorous, honestly. <laughs> well, it's up to you. <laughs> no, he, he gets bit, and the, the medic comes screaming over in, in the middle of gunfire. Where have you been hit? You know, he's screaming bloody murder. Ah, oh, I said, he's been dog bit. Get up, get up. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was quite comical, actually. But he made it yeah. out okay, though, right? Oh, yeah, everybody made it fine. The only uh, the only casualty we had was, uh, was uh, actually just a quick puncture wound dog bite. And um, and the dog wanted to bite somebody. He wasn't going to bite me. He's going to bite somebody, so. I mean, part of it's my fault. I got a little too close. At the same time, I, yeah, I didn't think it was going to bite him that quickly. But anyways, the whole thing was quite, quite uh, funny if you look at it. <laughs> and by the way, for folks out there who don't may not understand that, and I think I saw this in one of the other podcasts I was listening to a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Sean Ryan. Um, but they were talking about you need to find humor to be able to cope with certain situations. I mean, uh -huh. That's my book. I'm going to write. I'm telling you, it's, just, it's not, it's not, nothing's going to be technical. Nothing's going to be no secrets. It's just going to be, to me, it's going to be the, the funniest stories. And you can, as a reader, you can deny it. You can do, well, you can believe them or not believe them, you know? So we'll see what happens. Right, that's true. It's, it's amazing because people don't get it because they've never been in it. Um, but when I've talked to homicide detectives in the past, you know, they told me sometimes we used to say jokes to process this stuff that we're seeing. And, of course, the journalists, they had to do their two cents in. And they don't understand it. Nope. But, you know, you stick them in that environment for about a year. <laughs> they're going to be doing the same thing to be able to cope with it. Because, I mean, I just hearing your story, Dutch, it's hilarious because I'm, I'm listening to it. Here you are laughing about this event. Bullets are flying over <laughs> whatever's going on. And um, I'm sure it wasn't a very calm in peaceful situation you were in. No. So you got the humor going and that's how folks that psychologically what they're doing to protect themselves. And as human beings, we do it as well. Amazing stuff. Can't wait for your book now. I you really got me. So, yeah. So inside scoop was, I had a meeting with David Limbaugh and uh, he liked the idea. And uh, I have to, I'm still, I'm a little late in doing my, I have put forward a, maybe a table of contents that I, a quick executive summary on it, what it looks like, and it's going to help. So we'll see. Okay, I, but not that. that I don't have a thousand things to do. So that's one of the things. <laughs> Listening to some of the stories, that I can see why people would say there's no way that happened. <laughs> but, uh, of course. Of course. Yeah. That's okay. They can believe it or not. 
maybe some of it will be fiction. Maybe some of it will be made up. Maybe some of it won't be. But it'll be up to the reader to figure that out. What did they say truth is stranger than fiction? I think so. That's another funny thing you say because I don't. People ask me, "What do you read?" I go, "I read, you know, Grossman, or I read uh, stories of World War II, or stories of Vietnam, or whatever it might be." Yeah, really? Do you read any fiction? Uh, no, because real life is way better than fiction. I mean, you <laughs> if it's intriguing enough to read it and happen to real people, well, that's more, way more amazing than making it up. Yeah, I, I agree. Especially like the spy stories too. Those are other some amazing stories. You're kind of like, really? What the heck was that all about? That's great. Yeah, yeah crazy stuff. You know, I, I learned this from one of the SEALs a while back. I interviewed um, really super nice guy, Clark Impostato, folks, if you want to follow him. By the way, we're talking to Dutch Chris Moyer. You can find him at DutchChrisMoyer.com. Check out his DCM Consulting. Um, and he made an interesting comment. He said he was normally... Work, he, a lot of his missions were on land. I mean, not on land, um, kind of like on sea, the border of the land kind of thing. And then he got thrown into a jungle for one operation. And this really threw him off. He had never worked in a, in a jungle. I think it was Clark. Hopefully it is. He was thrown into the jungle and that kind of threw him off for a little bit. Cause he's like, what in the heck is going on with all these noises? He couldn't figure this out. And I remember listening to John Mayer. He was saying the same thing. Did you deploy to different environments or was it pretty much Afghanistan, Iraq, similar environments or any stories of yeah. that? Yeah, for combat, Iraq, Afghanistan. So a lot of, I did a lot of training in the jungle. So mm -hmm. unlike those gentlemen, if they've never trained in the jungle and I had the opportunity to do so, it's a very interesting environment without a doubt. Uh, we did, I did a lot of jungle work in uh, Panama and in Hawaii, uh, rain, in the rainforest and whatnot. Uh, I love the jungle, actually. Uh, but it's, it's got its own challenges, unique challenges. Uh, you know, the howler monkeys throwing down poop at you, and, and um, it's always something. They're very territorial, so they'll throw down poop on you, so keep you out of the way. Uh, and then patrolling in, in the dark, really patrolling in the jungle at night, very, very difficult. And uh, I know that I remember as a ranger, there was a period of time when we were doing nighttime movements to strike a target in training in the in the jungle of Panama, and we all thought, this is the dumbest thing. It's the dumbest thing. Movement is much slower, obviously. And, you know, move, movement's slow in the jungle as it is. Now in the nighttime, with uh, night vision, it's even slower. Uh, but it, you know what? It, it was hard work, but it worked out okay. As far as I remember, it worked out well. We struck the target, um, and we did well. So, it was, you know, it, to me, at that time, the commander was saying, hey, look, this is hard work. you got to get through this kind of thing so you can be able to do it in the future should you have to, uh, you know, in the real, in, in real combat. So, but yeah, I, you know, strength through hard work, man, you know, it's perseverance, leadership, get out there and work hard. Otherwise, why? Absolutely. Well, now Iraq and Afghanistan, they're similar in some ways, but different in others uh, from everybody I've ever talked to who's, who's been out there in missions. It was very unique worlds in a sense. Um, which ones did you find more challenging for you or did you at all? Almost all of my work in, in uh, Iraq, almost all. Um, so, but Iraq, you know, it could be right downtown somewhere, right? It could be downtown Baghdad, it could be Sadr City. So it's buildings everywhere. Or it's the Western Euphrates River Valley near Hitch or Haditha. Uh, where there's where there's 
stretches of lake bed or dry riverbed, and then there's you know some rural stuff or you know mountainous stuff up near a bit. I mean, it, it it gave a lot of different uh, a lot of different looks, but nothing. Or Palm Grove here, or there, you know, on the Tigris or the Euphrates. So it gave an uh, interesting look. What did you find out? Did you? I guess what are the? Did you see any differences between? Obviously, you did see differences. I'm trying to see how I frame this, because you did a lot of work. You say now in Iraq and in the city, obviously the urban environment. That's going to be a very different game because you have civilians around you. You can't really know who's on whose side. Um, was that more challenging than doing any kind of? If you did any missions in in a, in a suburban area and rural area, anything like that? Yeah, you do a lot of missions like that. Of course. Yeah. Um, what are the challenges? Just like you said, the challenges are uh, finding your target, right? Navigating to your target. Where are you going to get dropped off? You get dropped first of all. Let's drop off somewhere, right? The, the landing zone is going to be maybe 12 k's away, and then we're going to walk in all fine. You're going to get over. You're going to envelop your target. You're going to get uh, wager through through civilian population or not. Most of the time, obviously, you want to strike it when it's very dark. It's very and everybody's sleeping. That's the best time to do it, obviously. And then. Uh, Envelop your target and either knock on the door or immediately uh, uh, assault the target, one of the two. When was the last time you went to Iraq for a mission? Was it years ago? Years ago, yeah. I'm just, you weren't there when ISIS was around, were you? You were gone already? Not when the, the yeah, not when real ISIS was a thing yet, I don't think. 2009. Uh, I think Zarkari. Eight, he was, nine. He was Zarkari was done at five. Yeah, he was out early. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine was nine. I suffered a health issue uh, and it pretty much ruined my my deployment career. I went one more time in eleven, and that was in Afghanistan. Uh, did you did you ever talk to anybody who went against ISIS? Did you hear any of those stories? Oh yeah, I still have friends that work today. I've been doing some of that. Some of the guys that I've interviewed who went through uh, who went in combat against them really said, I've never seen anything like this before. Is that what you were hearing too or no? I, I don't hear that. No. no, you didn't hear that? That was interesting. I guess there's so many. Who knows, right? There are so many. There's different. I think that, again, it's, it's, it's part of the unit leadership command or whatever else to prepare those men for those things. I don't think that anybody should be, when they say it's not like they've seen anything else before, what does that even mean? First of all, I don't know. I don't know what that means. You know, you have to quantify that with why did they have better equipment? Did they shoot, move, and communicate against you? Were they organized? Um, I think it was mutilated what, bodies or something that said. Oh, we 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 saw plenty of that, by the way. You yeah. did. You saw that anyway. Right. Yeah, that's the thing. It gets people do. They don't realize that. I know something. I can't remember who it was when they were telling me a lot of things that people don't realize is when you're on a mission or whatever, and you're in combat, and then civilians in the way or a civilian gets killed because of crossfire from whatever side it is and there's plenty up there obviously the bad guys put civilians in place they know that there's the west has an aversion to civilian casualties they do not so they will either sleep with their families live with civilians they don't care they don't care they really don't care uh so yeah we, we saw casualties of all kinds in that respect um in addition to, we've seen what should be non-combatants uh, due to ideological teachings and the culture that they live in. Now they've become combatants. 
So you see less. What, what's the military age mail? Where where does that start? Does it start at 14? Does it start at 15? Does it start at 16? Where does it start? And I'm, I'm asking this question because I'm I don't even know anymore where that starts. But to me, as a, a military age male, as a 10 year old who picks up a rifle and aims at me and my friend, he's now a military age male. I have a good friend of mine who who didn't sleep for quite some time because he burned down a uh, young kid, but the young kid had a weapon. So again, I go back to my sword is your shield. This is one of the things that I'm going to trademark, by the way. But it's you, I'm going to hear, I'm here to save you, Dr. Carlos. I mean, I, I see a rifle. He's pointing it at you. I'm going to save you. Okay. It's okay. I, if I don't do it for me, I'll do it for you. That's the whole point. That's the point of team. That's the point of close quarter battle. That's the point of team movement. That's the, that's, that's how this works. You know what I mean? I have no yeah. guilt in that. You know, what, what's the famous scene from, uh, from the, the, the sniper movie? What was his name? Oh, I was thinking about that. Yeah. Uh, Kyle or uh, yeah. Um, so Chris Kyle, I Chris have Kyle. no, what's he telling the psychologist? Whatever. I don't know if that team really happened or not. I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me, but it could, that certainly could. Uh, I don't have any, what's the doctor say? You killed this many people or whatever. He goes, I have no problem. I have no problem with any of that because I know I did the right thing. And that's against um, somebody who's out of the context, right? The doctor is not in that element. Right. <laughs> you have no idea. You're looking at it from a very different view. You can't do that. So many, so many other, yeah, so many of these doctors have never seen, do not know. They don't know. No, they really don't. I remember because my, my work is with serial killers. A lot of times is what I'm looking at. And 30, 40 years ago, I was a psychiatrist. And I remember one guy, if, if you folks follow that, you'll know, he went to go see the psychiatrist. Psychiatrist says, you're good to go. We're going to go ahead and release you. He was released as he was driving away with the psychiatrist didn't realize he had his mother's head in the back of the trunk. And that's why he felt better. Because that was his thing that was giving him tension his entire life was his mother. And he finally got rid of it in a sense. And he killed her. And that's why he was so good in the psychiatry <laughs> evaluation. So, yeah, you just can't, unless you're in that world, you don't know. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you talk about serial killers. I mean, that's, that's got to be fascinating in itself. Yeah, it's so. a very different mindset. It's a very different mindset. And they don't work like people think a lot of times they operate like, oh, you put, you put 10 serial killers in Iraq and they'll fin They don't do that. They're living off of fantasies. They're driving whatever the particular person is. And that's it. Bundy worked on a suicide hotline. I mean, <laughs> you don't know what these guys are up to. Anyway, I digress. But it's, it's an interesting point because I know a lot of times people, the media will do this. And I hate to pick on the media, but there you go. They'll frame it sometimes, you know, officer shoots teenager. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, it's not Ward Cleaver, if you want to go back to those days. It's not going to be him, more than likely. You're going to have somebody who's going to have a gun and probably aimed it at him. Um, and that's what makes it complicated because people don't. Well, this is this, this a recent shooting, right? I mean, this, this, you could use, I don't know if you're using this exactly or not, but not too long ago was this uh, young kid, 10 years old, right? He had a gun in Chicago area. They, him yeah. and another guy who was 25, 26-year-old, were fleeing from the police. He had a gun with him. They'd already seen the gun. Then when he gets to a point where it says, put down the gun, he's taking too long, either one. He's taking too long or he's moving his hand in such a way where it looks like he's going to shoot him, but he, instead he threw it behind the fence or whatever. But it was too late. Um, yeah. you know, and that's the, the media. Again, you portray this officer shoot teenager. Yeah, but teenager had gun. Teenager ran from police. Teenager didn't listen to police. And what's what's the teenager doing? What's what's a ten year old doing out at, at three a.m. 
with a 25 year old running around with guns. It's clickbait. That's what it is. Bad leadership. Bad leadership, bro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Back to what we were in the very beginning of the podcast. Who knew? Yeah, who, who knew? knew? Makes who knew? <laughs> so Dutch Chris Moyer, folks. Uh, again, you can find him at DutchChrisMoyer.com. Now we're going to go into a little bit of what he does for work. Um, and so if I'm I may too, you, oh, you, can find, you can find me on IG at oh, yeah. Dutch Chris Moyer Actual. Dutch Chris yeah. Moyer Actual. Definitely. Yeah, we've, been, we've been booted off IG numerous times now, so please um, jump on there, check it out. If you like the content, we'll make more. We are making more. Absolutely, folks. Check them out on IG. And I guess we're now we're going to head over into that world. So tell us a little bit about who you train and what kind of training programs you offer. Predominantly, we, we, I say we, me in the past, I've been doing, I've been doing, I've been training military law enforcement predominantly, but that does not always, that doesn't always fly anymore. Now we are, I am reaching into uh, what we call open enrollment. And like, for instance, the 17th, 18th, I got, got uh, eight guys coming in from uh, Western North Carolina. We have a lot of fun. We're going to train real hard. And what do I offer? I do offer basic stuff. I also offer, I think, I think the premier stuff that really I get into is seasoned guns, gun people, right? It's a small amount of gun handling. If you're an intermediate shooter, intermediate expert, I call it the evolutionary gunfighter. And we spend a lot of time running and gunning. You know, a lot, I want competition, man-on-man competition. I want steel shooting, right? After a small eval, so I can see where you are and see what your competence level like. Let's go. Let's, let's do some hard drills. Let's do some. You know, modified X drill, let's do the El Prez, let's get the bill drill, let's do some steel, let's uh, get stress inoculation involved, uh, let's talk about CQB, let's talk about what it you know it takes to do singleton CQB in your in your own house, uh, what maybe what your loadout should be in your car, what your gun belt's gonna look like, you know, or are you gonna how you're gonna carry concealed, etc. A lot of stuff. I'm gonna start highlighting that part for a second if we could. Um, if you're listening on Situational Awareness Tactics podcast, this is for you. If you're not, uh, if you're listening to my other podcast, you can go over to Situational Awareness Tactics podcast and check it out as well. Um, Dutch, that's the interesting part because I did see a, a video clip of you talking about that. And you mentioned center fed, corner fed, and at Singleton, uh, CQB, in a situation, especially in today's world, uh, it's different than what it was just three years ago. <laughs> and we're seeing a lot of people. Uh, home invasions have gone up in a lot of cities. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I frame that correctly because there's a lot of cities that are having it. Not everybody's suffering from home invasions, but a lot of cities are. What are some of the mistakes you've seen, I guess, people do in their home? It isn't to pick on them, but to highlight them. And then what are some of the things you recommend for people to defend themselves in their home? I gave a long pause there so we could edit that because you hear the dog scratching before on the so I guess what I wanted to ask you that is if you knew any, um, how would you say myths or, or things that people do wrong to, and again, not to pick on them, but to highlight things that we can educate people on and trying to defend their homes as well as some tips in people defending their homes. I know you do CQB training and you've talked about Singleton and helping people protect themselves in today's environment with home invasions on the rise in particular cities. Uh, I think it's a really an important aspect. So any myths or any things that you've seen people do that, Oh boy, you know, you can't do that. Myths, I don't know about myths. Myths are, um, I guess one of the things I I would stress is what's the mission, right? So 
these people get all ramped up about what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do, you know, or I would do this or I would do that. Well, what's the mission? You know, there's a, there's one cat. He was an Israeli cat. He did some YouTube work with another well-known guy. I can't, I honestly can't recall the YouTube page right now, but he, he talks about going slow. Slow is your security. Going around corners, slow is your security. I don't come from a world like that. And I don't, I don't agree with that. So I think speed, speed, speed is your security. By the way, why would I go slow if someone has my wife, daughter, son uh, at gunpoint? Why would I go slow? If, ah. if my, what if my daughter's being raped? What if your daughter's being raped? What if your kid is being sodomized? Are you going to go slow? No, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm going. It's my house. I live here. So I know the, the layout already. I have the advantage. I'm going to go as fast as possible, right? And get there to the crisis point as quick as possible. And then I'm going to deal with what I see right then when I get there. The myth. So I don't know if there's any myths. I don't know. You, you, you may be able to come up with a question about exactly what a myth you might think there is. But, you know, when we do when we talk about the big four, right? Treat every weapon like it's loaded. And these are the big four from the NRA, right? Give or take what they say. Uh, treat every weapon like it's loaded. Never uh, point your weapon at something you don't tend to destroy. I think that's bullshit. I'll tell you why. Uh, three, finger flat off the trigger until it's time you have good sight. I think that's bullshit. I'll tell you why. One of the most important ones, and this CTV is a real important one, is, is what? Know what's in front of and what's behind the target at all times. You have to know. You can't get so blown up in your head, right? So once you make entry into wherever that is, that's that snapshot. You have to know where you're going. That's my target. What's behind it? What's in front of it? Is this, this going to be safe for me to take a shot? Now, it, if I miss this guy, right, or do most bodies, um, do anybody, that is anybody uh, a uh, acceptable backstop? Possible. With shot placement, it's possible, yes. Uh, what kind of ammunition are you using? You know, or using some sort of projectile like a M855 green tip. If you're going to use green tip and you're going to zap somebody through the, the portion of their body, guess what? That thing's gone. It's, it's continuing to move, right? It's going to sail through and go somewhere else. 855 green tip will also push its way through most of the drywall, right? And, and probably not be horribly deformed and it could find its way outside. Um, but if you're using something different, there, there are better bits of ammunition to use, bits. There are better, there is better ammunition to use when it comes to terminal ballistics in a body. So find those, study those, and use those. Well, what's so prevalent right now is 855 green tip. I mean, how much of there is, uh, how much the government produced, I don't know, but there's a crap ton of it out there. And everybody knows how they can buy it, get it. It's not a bad round, they get it. But is it the primary terminal ballistics to a body round? No, it's, it's not. It is just not. Uh, but there's other ammunition out there. So anyway, in front of and behind. You have to know what's in front of the target, obviously. That snapshot, right? You When you go, when you explode through the portal to get to a place that you need to be, all if the snapshot encases everything that you see. And you're going to have to slow down just for a tiny bit of a second to be able to make that shot uh, where this guy's holding your daughter or your wife or your kid or whatever it might be. And, and you have to know what's behind and what's in front. Uh, you have to be aware of those things, and that is not easy. It's not, and not it's not everybody's game either. It's just not. Um, you know, there's uh, so much talk about diversity and equity and all this stuff lately. Guess what? Not everybody can do all the jobs. It just can't. You know, not everybody can be a shuttle pilot. 
not everybody can be a rocket scientist. I can't. That's not my thing, right? The the great I am put me on this planet to do something else. Uh, I'm more of a protector. I'm more of a teacher and a protector and a coach. I'm not that guy who can build engines. I, I can probably take them engine apart. I'm not trying to put them back together. You know, so I, I love stuff like that. But you, you, we have to accept in our lives here that not everybody can do all the things that we think we can do. You know, we all have an opportunity, but does it mean we can do them all? Not necessarily. You make a great uh, point about ammunition too, because that's that's why we always stress the importance of getting training. Don't just buy a gun and think that's it. I mean, you have to get the training. Like you said, you have to understand the type of ammunition, the type of gun you have. What what can that gun do to an individual? A lot of people place. don't realize like it can go through you <laughs> and you're gonna hit shot your child placement. behind them. Shot placement's important, exactly right. And where's that is it child behind him? Is he is he masking that person? Or or again, what's behind him when you take that fatal shot? And he, is it is it the wall? Is it somebody else back there? Is it a different room? Does that room contain other people that you know you want to save? You you know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen young soldiers when they do a uh, a detainee drill for instance, right? There's a bad guy on the ground, get down on the ground, get down on the ground, guy gets on the ground. And they know how to do it, but all of a sudden during the action of the, the stress inoculation or whatever it is, they just kind of blow their mind and forget. One guy starts handcuffing them and stuff, and the other guy doesn't even move. And now if he had to take a shot, right, he's perpendicular to his, his mate. I'm like, hey, dude, wake up, move around, <laughs> right? You have that position can be movement, right? It can be floating. You can it's a fluid position. You can go ahead and move, man. It's all right. Uh, but think about where that round's gonna go. Oh, but I'm not going to take a shot. Maybe that's in their mind. I don't know. No, stop, stop. You may have to. So be fluid and get around. Um, it gets a little bit kind of um, complacent, I guess you can say. It is true. It's true. Yeah. Go back Go back to the gun. Sorry. Go back to the – you got me – Of course. You got, you got me jamming now. So go back sure. to the round. So what's the weapon system? People say, well, I'm using a, I'm using a B, BCM uh, 556 uh, direct gun. No, no. What's the weapon system? Oh, I already told you. No, no, no. Weapon system is everything, right? That's you, the rifle, and the ammunition. That completes the whole system because you have to know what's in the gun because this is this is the thing that allows you to determine the limitations of you and the, the weapon system itself. So if I'm shooting a 55-grain PMC out of a 10-inch barrel, that's a 1-in-7 twist, and it's a high winds going left to right, and I'm at 5,000 feet. Can I shoot accurately at 200 meters all day long? Mm, probably not. You know, so it's not designed for that. You need a heavier round. So, I'm, and I'm not a gun freak, right? I'm not a super, super gun nerd. I'm not. I don't nerd out on this stuff. But you're going to have to know <laughs> if you're going to carry it, right? If you're going to carry it, you have become a gunfighter of some sort. So you should know a little bit about that. You know, if you want to fix your lawnmower, we're so jaded nowadays. And even men, men, men today are jaded. Uh, when I get into a car and drive it, I wonder how many men know how the internal combustion engine works. You know, when you when you mow your yard, can you fix that? Can you determine what's wrong with that? So when a guy picks up a gun and he doesn't know the cycles of functioning, do you know the cycles of functioning? That's not hard. It's easy to know the cycles of functioning, and it may determine, it may allow you to know why this fed this way, why it didn't extract that way, why all these you know, these malfunction issues. You can determine these malfunction issues way better if you understand 
the way your, your machine, your particular machine works. Is it a piston gun? Is it a DI gun? Is it a piston gun from PWS? It looks like AK-47. Or is it like a, is it a MCX from Six Towers? It doesn't look like that at all. You know, you, you have to be able to know the system so you can determine what, what it does correctly and what it doesn't do correctly. And so you, when you get into that situation, you already, bing, you already know, oh yeah, I know this, this is going to happen or this should happen or shouldn't happen. You know, that's... Absolutely. It's so important that people don't treat it, they treat it like toys. Sometimes they don't understand what they are. There well, are again, we're, rifles, we're right? jaded. It's okay. I get it. We're, 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 we're no, they're not assault rifles. Every, 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 <laughs> it's a joke. Every, <laughs> assault guitar, assault. Uh, if I assault someone with this aluminum coffee cup, I'm going to, it's just, this is an assault cup. I got them um, started, folks. <laughs> but it's a, it, you know, it's a funny thing, though. We're so jaded. You know, we're, I go to the store, I buy the stuff that's either cold or hot, and I eat it. Uh, I don't have to do anything to procure it other than make my money. I give my money to that guy, and he does it for me. Whether it's the car, whether it's the yard, whether it's your, your, your grocery store, we're jaded. You know, it's, I, my son said much long ago, I said, man, the internet's so slow. Oh, the internet's so slow. And me and a bunch of guys at work used to say, oh, my bag of gold is much too heavy, you know. And that was that was classic to me. I love that saying. I say it all the time to these guys, you know, oh, man, it's just, you know, this ain't working the way it should. Oh, my bag of gold is way too heavy. Here you are. You have a 5.56 rifle and you have all the accoutrement and you have 500 rounds of, mag- of ammunition with you. And she was, what a bummer. Your bag of gold is way too heavy. Jaded, man. We're all jaded. It's interesting because I know when I, I've given lectures sometimes to a younger crowd and they don't realize how different of a world we grew up in. We being you and I, because I think we're similar ages, even though you look like 10 years younger than me. But I remember 20, 30 years ago, before GPS, before cell phones, when yeah. you're driving at 11 o'clock at night down a freeway in an area that you know is suspect, if your car goes down, you're screwed. <laughs> You're going to have to get out of that car, walk to every half a mile, I think it was, or quarter mile for that payphone. Call box, yeah. Yeah, in the middle of the Call night. Uh, that was really different days. And if you don't remember the Thomas guys, you can look it up. But uh, that, that's how we got around back then. And that was a very unique world compared to today where you can just call the cops and AAA or whoever it is that you have. And <laughs> Oh, I, I keep maps in my car today. I keep MGR. MGRS maps, and I keep a big Ram McNally or one of those kind of, of oh, maps, yeah. you know, because you got I, you got to have redundancy. I get, and one of the things that I suppose that I've, I've I know now what to do or have been doing it is redundancy, right? Redundancy is part of my life because the United States Army redundancy is everything. You got to have more than one ways to skin a cat, right? And uh, yeah, if you don't, you should have a map, but because what what like you just said, what if your phone goes down? What if what if your phone goes down? What if your battery dies? You have no way to charge it. I don't care. Whatever it might be. The GPS doesn't work. Um, I have a solar watch. Not this one. But I have a solar watch uh, on the dashboard of my truck. So if it goes, if this one dies, I have another. If if uh, if I'm firing my rifle, right, I'm using a very cool battery-operated red dot sight or even solar one, whatever. What happens if I... I smash it into something and it either breaks or goes down. Do I have iron sights on my rifle? I do. Uh, I just got done teaching a bunch of Air Force guys, and only this particular class, a very small percentage of those men, had uh, iron sights on their rifles. Really? You yeah, think about this, man. It's it's really small space on your on your rail to take up, but you know, just 
get get two uh, Magpul, whatever you want to use, you know, uh, just stick them on there, man. You make a great point because the redundancy factor is something I'm starting to notice. A lot of individuals are on. I, mean, I know some of the legitimate ones. I'll just say it that way on IG that are teaching this kind of going back to the basic stuff because we can't count on technology all the time. Uh, we're starting to see it with cyber attacks now. They're hitting a lot of different places that uh, main infrastructure. So you have to have things that we used to do 20, 30 years ago. As you mentioned, the Rand McNally, I didn't even know they were still in business. I think Thomas guys are gone. So you have these different things to be able to back yourself up. And uh, I mean, how many times have technology has technology failed us in one capacity yeah. or another? Yep. Yes, sir. It's a great point. You know, what about, ask, what about EMP? Is that, is that a thing to worry about now? EMP? Is it? I don't know. Should you have a one vehicle that won't be affected by an EMP? I don't oh, know. That's a good point too. I don't know. <laughs> Should you have food laying around I me? Mean, I'm not a prepper, but I, I have some things that I'm sure that, the non, the complete non-prepper would probably say I'm a prepper, but I don't think I'm a prepper. But maybe I am. <laughs> hey, well, when are we going to get into a pandemic, right? So, when is the world going to completely uh, have, shut down? Have we, have we, <laughs> have we had a pandemic yet? Yeah, so, yeah it's 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 a interesting time. So <laughs> let me ask you this. Um, I know uh, I was going to talk to you about this. I saw a couple of videos. And this is an interesting discussion because people don't, they have a different image, I guess. And maybe it's, maybe it's the movie's fault of a Rambo and a dirty Harry and these individuals and John wick for more modern types versions. But I want to see what your take was on this. If you get into a confrontation, right? Lord forbid anybody messes with Dutch. It's, it's not going to be a good day for them, but let's say they don't know Dutch, but I mean, Dutch is there. Dutch knows he can make this person a grease spot in the road of life. But it's better for Dutch to say, I'm just going to let it go and get out of Dodge. Because I think for most people, to my opinion, it's best to let it go. You don't want to accidentally no, no, do I, something. What do you think? I, I, I completely appreciate that. And I, and I think you should. I think your first, I'm a, again, we're talking about Tony Blower. First things first. Hey, bro, I don't want any trouble. I don't want any trouble. Get out, right? Get out. I don't want any trouble. Now, I don't think I, don't think I look like a victim. I'm not going to carry myself like a victim. I'm not going to look like a victim. I'm trying to see what's happening almost all the time, right? I'm not a, a freak as always about it, but you can look at stuff, casually observe. You want to be spatially and situationally aware. There are dangers around, even for people that don't look like victims. So, yeah, I, I do, you know, and I, I thought about this this morning. It's funny that you and I uh, are, you're touching base on this right now, but I thought about it this morning. I was, I did a, a, a hike in the, uh, the urban area around my neighborhood here and one earphone in right one out because i'm listening to information i'm not listening to music i'm listening to information you know i have uh that's to me to be especially situationally aware i still want to listen to something yes but i want to make sure that i'm not getting either run over uh or beat down and i thought about giving a speech about that too because if you're a female and you may be a victim and you're walking down the road, whether it's evening, morning, nighttime, whatever, and you see one possible perp coming towards you, make sure you're looking around for the second guy because guess what? Cowards mm. usually don't work in singleton, right? They they work in, in pairs. Um, they understand the even a crazy female who would fight back, right? They understand that. So, you know, those are things to look at. And if you see a guy on your on your on your path and you don't want anything to do with them, there's nothing wrong with veering off. I don't care if they're white, black, indifferent, brown, doesn't matter. Get get the F away. Um, 
It's a great. I'm glad point. you brought. I'm glad you brought that up. It's just. It's just a funny thing, man. Who cares? You don't trust anybody. You know, it's interesting. The reason I brought it up is. I do another podcast called Crime Watch. I know I do a lot of podcasts, folks, whatever. But I do another podcast on Crime Watch. And it's interesting because I saw this road rage stuff. It's getting kind of really out of hand. Um, and one guy, you know, the, I forget the one incident two months ago where the lady cuts the guy off. The guy gets upset and he and uh, she fires. Yeah, it's a tragic story because a six-year-old died from this because the guy who got cut off um, I guess we call it hostile attribution bias, where you think somebody's doing something on purpose to intentionally hurt you. And I always do. And when I do a lecture, I always mention that, you know, if you ever, have you ever been cut off and everybody raises their hand, of course, we've all been cut off. And we, we always think that, oh, this person's a jerk, whatever expletive you want to use. But I said, have you ever cut anybody off by accident yourself? And then they look at me and well, I guess so. Yeah, I, said, I have. And then I raised my hand saying, Hey, I'm sorry. I still get flipped off, but at least I made the effort <laughs> of saying, I'm sorry. Cause I, whatever reason I, my mind was escaping at that moment or I didn't see them or whatever. Um, but this individual got cut off and I don't, I think she didn't see him. So he pulls out a gun and shoots and kills the six-year-old. And then we see it again. Uh, just two days ago with a son and his uh, two sons and the dad, they're coming out of a Houston ball game, same situation. The dad does something. Oh, this guy was cutting and crisscrossing through the freeway. Remember the story now. And then he hit traffic and then the, the guy in the truck, but the two kids didn't let him in. Fine. You can call him whatever you want, but then he ends up shooting the guy with the two kids and kills his son. who's 14 years old. And I'm looking at this going, you know, you have to be really careful. This is why I was saying we were talking about earlier about being emotionally reactive and just saying, just let it go. <laughs> just well, let the damn guy in. It's one, it's an extra five feet you lose. So what? Okay. So this whole thing, this little conversation about road rage mm. spills into a whole bunch of different subjects, man. You talk about patience. Uh, I'll, I'll tell more about it, but it goes back to leadership because what's happening right now in America there is a lack of competent leadership and it's you know, being divided on purpose or I don't care if you think we're being divided on purpose or if you think we're being divided uh, because of something else, but we're being divided. And this doesn't help. That doesn't help. So once, once people think that we're being divided and then once we think we have to, that guy has to pay or we have to do something about that or et cetera. So I don't care what side you're on. It doesn't matter. Right. This falls into what, what I call battlefield patience. So in training or in real life, if I'm doing a patrol and I start getting fire from in front of me, right? The guys that I'm patrolling with get down in the prone or find a piece of appropriate cover and return fire. Right? The squad leader, the guy who's making the decisions, he also is in the prone position, or maybe he's behind cover, or whatever, but he's looking to see. He's looking through the battlefield. He wants to see if he needs to remove himself from this fight or if he needs to push through because he's at a, at a, at a better level of priority. And then if he does push through, how does he push through with using the other squad or the other team that's behind him? You know, where do they go? Can they go over here? Can they go over there and outflank the guy, et cetera, et cetera. But the whole part of being it's, it's battlefield patient. I don't care if you call this the battlefield that you live in. It doesn't matter. Like, okay, let's use some patience power, okay? Let's just be patient for a second. And, and on top of that, humans all have a story to tell. 
So whether the kid, whether the dude from with the two kids was being a jackass and driving through the town, maybe, or did he, was he coming home because of an emergency? I don't know. I, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. It doesn't matter. But if, if that random person on the street just cut you off, maybe they have, they're going through some trouble. Maybe they're going through a hard time. Maybe you're going through a hard time. How about just relax a second? Take, take stock of what you have. Has anybody been hurt? Is anyone hurt? Is he a jerk? Is she a jerk? Maybe they are, but maybe not. Maybe they're going through a hard time. Everyone has a story to tell. So relax. Use your battlefield patience. Sort it out. I like what you said. You know, you put your hand out the window. Communication. There is so much lack of communication going on. Again, leadership, leadership. No one's communicating. On the road, I love communication on the road. You know, when I'm on the, I drive all over the country. And when I'm driving and a big truck, uh, wants to uh, wants to come in where I am. I'm in slow lane, whatever. I hit him with the lights, right? I turn on the lights so he can see me. He knows he's clear. He comes back and he flashes his lights back to me, right? Because yeah, hey bro, thanks. Yeah, yeah, Roger that. If I see somebody, if I have, if I do something wrong or something, I'll give him the wave, 100. If if I let somebody in, I want them to give me the wave. You know, if I I appreciate communication. Whether it's you open a door for a person, man, woman, child, and they ignore you, that's the wrong answer. But I'm not going to kick him in the shin, you know. I'm not going to beat him down just because I didn't say thanks. But they should say thanks. But they need to be aware. And it goes back to what we already talked about, spatial and situational awareness and common decency. It's lost. There's a lot of it lost right now. Again, because of the leadership above us is not allowing us to be together. They're dividing us on purpose or by accident. I don't care how you put it. That's an interesting point because I remember 20, 25 years ago when you used to have to put out, remember your left hand when you were making a turn and all this stuff. And you always had your hand signals going around and people communicated a lot driving. And now it's just, it's a really different world. It's a lot of entitlement driving. Well, you're in this bubble, right? I'm in this little bubble. I'm in my Mazda bubble. I'm in my Cadillac bubble. I'm in my Chrysler bubble. Nobody sees me. That's why you see, you know, you're in a traffic jam and somebody's digging their nose. You're right? I'm like, People still see you, bro. You know, you're in a bubble, yes, but people still see you. You know, but there should be more communication. I mean, that's the funny part about it. But there should be more communication. Uh, Leadership has all the world, everything in the world to do with this, right? But let me do this. I know we're getting ready to wrap up, Uh, folks. Again, let me tell you, we're we're talking to Dutch Chris Moyer. You can find him at DutchChrisMoyer.com. DCM Consulting. It's not just about shooting guns, folks. There's a lot of training that he offers and a lot of different capacities. You can tell there's a psychological component that he's very well aware of because of his years of experience. Dutch, I guess, and oh, one more thing, folks, too. Some of the stories I pick up, I'm I'm sharing with you, isn't to scare you. These are things I just read. I mean, just literally just two days ago. When you look at local news, it's a whole different world. I mean, there was a story the other day where a dad saw this guy looking into into his daughter's room, his five-year-old daughter's room, and he shooed him away from the backyard. And he thought, okay, this is it. The guy's gone. And now he walked back doing something else. All of a sudden he hears his daughter screaming. The guy went back and went into the room. And it was about nine o'clock in the morning. So you definitely got to be aware. So again, not trying to scare you. It's just, it's reality and you have to be ready for it. I always say, I don't know what what the Dutch thing, I think I might have told you this already Dutch. I always say there's a couple of mistakes you can make in life. If you put too much salt in brownies, all right, you lost five bucks, you messed up your brownies, but other mistakes you can't take back. 
And uh, those are the ones you want to be prepared for because you don't want to make that mistake and said, shoot, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have trained for that. Those aren't the days. Uh, DutchChrisMoyer.com. So, Dutch, as we're getting ready to wrap up, I did have a couple of opinion questions for you. Just out of curiosity, because I know you said you've been to, the, to Haiti. Um, do you ever follow those? I mean, that, that looked like an operation that was happening there <laughs> when they tried to, uh, when they assassinated the president. Actually, I didn't even try. They did. I'm um, not. I did not. So I have not seen any news on that. Okay. Uh, I I have not. So I don't. I don't know. Right. I, I can't. I'm not. I can't be an authority on one way or another. I just. Um, I was actually hoping to get some work down there. Uh, so that may affect it. I'm. I'm it is going to affect it. It is affecting it. So, uh, but we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm still willing to go down there to work, but uh, not my prime first choice location. <laughs> no, I'm probably not right now. Um, and I got. I guess my last question. One of my last questions for you is. Do you offer any consulting or have you thought about it or do you in regards to people traveling out of the country or traveling to certain high risk environments that they have? I know some of my friends who went to certain parts um, in Mexico, they're really high risk. I had high kidnapping uh, levels there. Anything of all that nature? I'm not sure if you do. So no classes with regards to that. That's something I might be able to open up. Uh, you know, again, my class is really, uh, I do a basic class. I do the evolutionary gunfire intermediate. I do the time of the gunfighter, which is advanced. That's cars, stress inoculation, steel, gunning, uh, foreign weapons, stuff like that. But I also, I, I would, uh, I have a, a great opportunity to do, so, do an assessment, a security assessment coming up uh, somewhere overseas. Uh, I'll talk about that the next time you have me on, but I'm not going to talk about it just yet. Uh, I have assessed different people's programs, uh, but usually it's from a foreign entity perspective, uh, the Kuwait dog program, um, a security program in Kuwait. Uh, we did a Royal Guard program in uh, Saudi Arabia, which I probably won't ever do again, but I'm just, yes, I have done those things. I've talked to a guy about security issues in uh, Mexico as well. Um, you must have uh, a wealth of knowledge of that area, I can imagine. We, I, I, in Mexico itself, not a lot. No, uh, but I mean, just in general, how to protect yourself. Probably don't want to walk yeah. around with your Rolex and <clears throat> certain environments and things of that nature. Very true. Yeah. It's a good friend of mine, Greg Shaver. He, uh, he just wrote a book recently called Stay Safe. And he talked about some of that stuff, too. And we, I've worked with him on different projects. And I, I'm kind of in his stable, if you will. We've worked together on some, uh, on some projects. But, yeah, I could certainly do that. Uh, I don't have a formal class written up. I'm much more... Much more about the pistol, the rifle, and the close quarter battle, even canine work. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it for now, I think. But yes, I will. I can. <laughs> <laughs> My last question for you I always get a kick out of it. I'll phrase it in two parts, and you can answer both or just one or whatever. Any movie scene, I think I might have asked you before the interview when we talked on the phone, any movie scene that really stands out for you? And you say, that's just such baloney. And then other movie scenes uh, were like, that's right on the nail. If okay, let's, go right on, on the nail. let's go right on the nail first. Let's go right on the nail first. So right on the nail first. We, uh, as far as movies go, and I think what Americans should always watch, uh, Americans should watch all of the movies of the Band of Brothers. Um, oh. Band of Brothers being taken from mostly from the memoirs of a guy named Webster who was there, but Webster missed a lot of action after he was wounded uh, after Operation Market Garden, and he didn't come back till after Baston in 1944. Well, that was, they were both 44, but 
uh, he had stayed out and some of us, so he missed a lot of information. I was on a roof of a target when a helicopter crashed and cut the leg off of a friend of mine. And that moment in time when me and another guy are addressing his wound and pushing morphine into his body, he was crawling away trying to get a part of his equipment. And Band of Brothers in Baston, uh, if the episode the episode may be wrong, I think it's called The Breaking Point. Um, Joe Toy, real guy, uh, got his leg blown off. And in the scene, he is crawling and looking for his helmet. He goes, I got to get my helmet. I got to get my helmet. I got to get my helmet. Mm-hmm. And it's the shock that he's going through. And that leg has just been, it's cut off, but it's also like this. It's not like this anymore. The leg is not like a normal leg would be. And now it's all compressed because your body has a life-saving moment in it where it contracts everything and stops the bleeding to a degree so you can survive. And it does. It's a fantastic design, right? And yeah. and that, that's, that scene is so powerful and it's spot on. And I'll tell you, there's there's five or six other really, really good scenes in that movie that I have seen in my combat time as well. And they, they're just different, but they're the same. Um, Interesting. Wow, baloney, baloney, baloney. Wow, baloney. There's got to be plenty of those. That's probably the problem. Yeah, but I just, they don't, <laughs> they don't jump up in my head. You know what I mean? They just don't. Uh, I'm thinking of movies up. like Hurt Locker. Which some oh, people say, okay, that's a great, great call. All right, yeah, the, 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 the EOD guys, the EOD guys, EOD guys out on a sniper mission, EOD guys doing two and three man CQB. No, probably not, probably never, probably ridiculous. That's when Jeremy, Jeremy Renner, Jeremy, I hate guns, Renner is uh, you know, running in there uh, as a singleton CQB guy. No, so, so we, I have a common mantra the best time to do singleton CQB is never, never. So <laughs> Again, my rifle is your shield. CQB is best in two man, right? Best in four man or more, but it's absolutely necessary to do two. Uh, you don't, don't you one say one is zero? Two. One is none. Two is yeah. one, right? That's and that's yours. Yeah. So, and that's you know, you don't want to do single to CQB, but obviously, if I've been in an organization where you may had had to do that, or if you are in a uh, time frame where you know you're, you're going, you're helping your family. Then yes, you may have to do scene, but it's the, the prime time to do it. It's never. Um, yeah, but the Hurt Locker, there's some many pretty bad scenes in there. Although the beginning of the Hurt Locker, I really like the. Uh, I really like that. Look, look, looked like they were there. I mean, I'm like, I, I think I recognize that street. So it's, I don't know where they filmed it, Jordan or something like that, right? Um, we tough anyway. in Iraq. <laughs> That'll be a tough one. Now, I'm curious because I'm next week, I think uh, I'm interviewing John Mayer, so I'm really curious to see what his take was. Uh, he's a Mac V SOG, but I'm really curious to see what his take is on Apocalypse Now. Hmm. Exactly, it's a fascinating uh, movie. Uh, yeah, I'm sure some of those scenes are ridiculous, but uh, <laughs> you know, from the viewer's perspective, they're quite good, quite fun. Obviously, it's fantasy. But... What did you think about Rambo? Did you think it was helpful or hurtful for your for the special ops community? Oh, think? helpful or hurtful? You know, you mentioned this a couple of days ago. You and I were talking. And yeah. I think the veteran moniker. Uh, some people go, oh, the veteran, he's got PTSD. Oh, my goodness, he's, he's horrible. Mm. Time out on that guy. Can't talk to him. He's, he's out of his mind. You know, the things he's seen, he must be crazy. That's all BS. You know, obviously, this interview is helping me uh, portray that that's all BS. But um, it probably didn't help. That's. That, he's off the reservation. Come on, man. You know, he's off the reservation, whatever. Did he get treated poorly in the beginning of the movie? Yes. 
But did he have to go through town with an N60? No. Uh, uh, what else? Um, I, I did like when he went against the cartels. I have to say that. That was a good one. Well, <laughs> he, you know, Sly put some good stuff into some of those movies in the end, you know, when he's fighting the bad guys in uh, Indonesia. Right? What was that one? That he he, he, he uh, rescued the nuns. Yeah, I don't know if that was three or four. I can't, I can't keep up, but there's too many. There's too many. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. There is, a, there is a stigma. There's a stigma. And I'll tell you, part of the stigma, though, is, is people's own fault, obviously. Who was, the, who was the whack job in Pennsylvania? It was Eastern PA in the wintertime. He had an argument with his two neighbors. His two neighbors, it was during the COVID time frame. The two yeah. neighbors came out about, it was an argument over how much snow had been shoveled back in his driveway or back in the street. Remember this? Yeah. Absolutely heinous. If you've seen the video, it, 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 they, I'm pretty sure the people that run the video stuff, they removed it uh, after a while, but it's visceral. It's very visceral. The, the, the guy's obviously crazy, but he's a veteran. But you know what his veteran, you know what he did for a living? He did like some communications stuff in the Navy. Um, wow. You know, yeah, it had I, nothing to do with it. Overgeneralization. Yeah, it was a generalization, but he was he was out of his freaking mind and he he assassinated those people in the street. I mean it was just those people were idiots and they were jackasses, but they didn't deserve to get a gun down in the street. And he's a whack job too, but they're all they're all they're all weirdos, but you know that brings me, I guess, to one more point if you if you don't mind. I don't know, I don't know. I'm starting to see that pattern again, which also scares me. There's a couple of patterns that scare me. One is the brazen shooting that we're seeing during the day, at, le at least in a couple of parts like New York and in LA, some parts like that, which are having issues kind of like back to the Bronson days of death wish. But the other pattern I'm seeing is this, I'm coming back for you mentality that's mm -hmm. starting to pop up. I just saw it the other day with a guy got kicked out of a bar. So he comes back two hours later and shoots up everybody, uh, a lot of people in there. He, for, for, fortunately, he didn't kill anybody. Um, he did wound a couple. And then that story you just bring up. And there was other stories I've been reading where the guy comes back or the person comes back, whatever it is, and does something to them later. And it, it's just, it's really incredible. Whatever happened to this? Whatever happened to good old right? fist fight? Come on, good old fist fight. You, you got, you got, let's, let's figure it out right here in the street, me and you, I, I, you know? Whatever yeah. happened to that? Now, because you're a coward or you have a tool you can use, now we'll just go ahead and shoot you in the brain. We'll just, yeah, we'll just, yeah. End it all. Just so crazy. So crazy. Well, I guess let's end it on a better note. Uh, any other funny <laughs> stories? <laughs> any other funny stories of your times in the military that pop up? <laughs> I have so many funny stories, man. So many. So many. Uh, <laughs> uh, it just, you Maybe really have to wait. We have to wait for the book or the second time you have me on, but yeah, we'll this, bring you back for that then. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something uh, ridiculous right now. I tell you, uh, I was just talking about it this morning actually. So I recently got hit with two hornets. I uh, was doing some landscaping and I got blasted two hornets, two ground hornets. Oh, wow, really? And they were punishing. They were, I'm, I, I danced around like a little girl probably. Those I guys thought, hurt. Holy cow, they hurt like a son of a gun, right? So what we're talking about uh, in. I had a dog named Kosa, so it was probably 2008 or seven, eight, seven, probably eight. Might have been seven. Doesn't matter. Uh, we did a daytime piece of work, and we struck a target in very, very city time, very city area, geographically. 
And uh, we went over these fences to get to the bios on the, the back side of the building. And uh, there was a bunch there was a bunch of bees there. There were bees in boxes. And my dog jumped over the fence and moved to where oh. he needed to go and waited for me. And he got hit by these bees. And then he ran around and hit the boxes some more. And more bees came out. And we got across the fence. They got to the back in, in position. And bees were everywhere. It may not be a funny story, but there's, there's <laughs> plenty of humor in it. And he he came, he would come back to me as in, please help me. Please get these bees off me. And I'm sweeping these bees off of him. And you know what they're doing? They're stinging me everywhere. They, you know, where I didn't have bees stings was all the armor. Uh, and then even in the pads of my helmet, they would go in between the pads of my helmet and sting me. Oh, wow. I got probably stung 75, 85 times. And he was probably stung 285 times. It was absolutely out of control. Amazing. Uh, but it was, to, to me, it was the worst 30 minutes of my entire life. I'd much rather have people shooting me. Uh, to do this, it was, it was horrible. But it was funny at the same time. Because uh, when, so. when I got to the aid station, right, I took off my kit and bees just fell out of me. And the doc says, hey, you, you allergic to bees things? I said, no. He said, you probably will be now. But I'm not. But the whole thing was... Uh, it was kind of, it's kind of comical back there. It's kind of, you know, because you imagine a sniper team ready to, you know, take shots against the enemy if possible, and then they're bailing, right? Ah, because all the bees, everybody was <laughs> I, I couldn't go anywhere, right? I'm, I'm trying to get the bees off my dog. It's just hilarious. Who needs ammo when you got bees? <laughs> you get rid of all of them. Couldn't do anything about it, man. Oh, you had an allergy. I think you, it sounds like you got inoculated from the bees now after 75 stings. <laughs> you should be fine. I was a mess. Oh, man. Folks, again, DutchChrisMoyer.com. You can get more information about DCM Consulting. Also, check them out at Dutch Chris Moyer Actual on Instagram. So make sure you give them a follow. Dutch, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us. Doctor, thanks very much for everything. Appreciate it and look forward to uh, listening to more of your stuff. Thank you very much. We've got to bring you back, my friend. And again, thank you so much for everything you've done. It was an honor to do the interview today with you. Appreciate Folks, it. Well, thank you. make sure to share and subscribe and hit that like button. Check out the other episodes too. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.